Hey everybody, it's Britt, lead pastor at Sunridge. Welcome or welcome back to our teaching podcast. You know, we are on a mission here at Sunridge to help people find and follow Jesus. We believe in the good news that Jesus welcomes all regardless of how far you feel from God. That means we're a great starting point to explore Christianity or to sink your spiritual roots deep as a devoted Jesus follower. If you'd like to know more about us, just check out our website at sunridgechurch.org. And of course, we'd love to have you drop in anytime for a visit to learn and worship along with us. And now, here's our teaching for this week. So if you ever wanted to con uh, contemplate like a complex navigational situation, then you should think about NASA's space program, right? I mean, in particular, the space shuttle. I mean, if you think about it, first of all, everything is moving in this in this endeavor, not just the spacecraft. It's not like driving to Bakersfield. Um, in space, the shuttle is moving, the Earth is moving, the space station is moving, all at different speeds. And then there's the distance, of course. Even though it's only 250 miles from Earth, uh, the space station, you have to remember there's no streets, there's no freeways, there's no signs, there's no landmarks. You are in open space, literally, and uh, what happens if you miss your turn? You wouldn't even know. And then consider that even after months and months of creating a plan that how it's going to go, that the entire time there's going to be all these forces pulling at the spacecraft, the sun, earth, and anything else floating around out in space, all of those are going to affect your trajectory. Then consider that all the space junk that is floating out there. I don't know if you know about it, but human beings have the capacity even to litter space. We've done a good job of that. And then I want you to think, in the vastness of what the, uh, you're trying to do in the space that you're entering, consider how precise this project has to be. I mean, the Earth, the space station is orbiting the Earth at 17,000 miles per hour. So light speed is not going to be sufficient. You're going to need ludicrous speed. Space balls, anyone? Thank you. The space station is seven stories high. Your shuttle weighs 200,000 pounds, and you're going to have to be within three inches of accuracy to dock it. And you only get <clears throat> one shot. That's all you have to do. Now, I've docked a boat in choppy water, so I think that I can relate to what this is like. But it does make your itinerary uh, to your summer vacation this summer seem like child's play, doesn't it? What about guiding a church in its mission? I'm not going to stand before you and say that it is, a, is complex, for that, but it is complex. But it ha does have the same elements. There's a plan. There's a destination that you're seeking. There's a strategy involved in how to get there. There are people involved. And then that, and while you're in that journey, you have to make constant judgments. And all the while, you're going to have opposing forces pulling at the church. And last Sunday, and I'll conclude today, um, we're just kind of rebooting our vision. This series is called Vision 2023. And if you haven't... Um, Listen to last week's message, I encourage you to do so. But we talked about, you know, a church needs a compass setting. We need to know where we are. 
to use the map, our Bible, and landmarks, the things, the places that God has taken us. We need to know where we are, we need to know where we want to go, and we need to set our bearing to get there. But two questions remain. <clears throat> One, how exactly are we going to get there? What is the plan? And then two, who are the people that are going to get us there? Another way to put that is, who, what are the peeps and the deets? How does this all come together? Now, we are not going to the moon or to the space station. If you want to know where Sunridge is headed, maybe you can help me out with this. What is our mission? We are helping people find and follow Jesus. That's our thing. That's our main thing. We're not always, we have to always keep the main thing the main thing. We say that a lot here because it's important. But, and it seems like an impossible task to me as one of the people that's involved in steering us there. Uh, but fortunately, we're not doing it on our own, are we? God has left us his Holy Spirit, his empowerment, and he's given us a pretty good set of instructions. Through the Holy Spirit's inspiration, the Apostle Paul wrote a letter to the Ephesian church. It, and we started looking at this last week in Ephesians 4, 11 through 16. So this morning, I'd like to read it in, in its entirety, and then I want to break it down into some pieces to talk about where we're going and who is going to get us there. Ephesians 4, 11 through 16. It should be up on the screens. So Christ himself gave the apostles, the prophets, the evangelists, the pastors, and teachers to equip his people for works of service so that the body of Christ may be built up until we all reach unity in the faith and in the knowledge of the Son of God and become mature, attaining to the whole measure of the fullness of Christ. Then we will no longer be infants tossed back and forth by the waves and blown here and there by every wind of teaching and by the cunning and craftiness of people in their deceitful scheming. Instead, speaking the truth in love, we will grow to become in every respect the mature body of him who is the head, that is Christ. And from him, the whole body, joined and held together by every supporting ligament, grows and built itself up in love as each part does his work. Let's talk first about, the, about who the people are on this journey with us. As any complex endeavor involves, people have to do it. Now, before I talk about that, I want to just let you know that in the 30 years that the space shuttle flew its missions, it flew 135 missions. And there were as many as eight astronauts on board in each one of those missions. But over those 30 years, 355 astronauts actually went into space. But you know, or you can at least imagine, that there are a lot more people than the astronauts involved in getting that, uh, the space shuttle to the space station. And you might have in mind what you've seen on TV, TV, you know, mission control with all the people sitting at the the consoles or computers, but that doesn't even scratch the surface to the number of people that were involved in the space shuttle missions. There are literally thousands, thousands of people who work behind the scenes to take that object, put it into space, and have it connect to the space station. And as the church moves toward its mission, 
There are people on that journey with us. It is God's work, but God uses people. So what are their roles and responsibilities? I want to go back to this very first section in Ephesians and look for the people that are mentioned. Ephesians 4, 11 and 12, it's up here on the screen. So Christ himself gave the apostles, the prophets, the evangelists, the pastors and teachers to equip his people for works of service so that the body of Christ may be built up. Now leave that verse up. Do you see categories of people? Raise your hand if you do. Okay, great. Among those categories of people, do you, you're doing inductive Bible study, by the way, right now. I'm involving you. You're going to help me write my sermon today. You didn't know that. Uh, among those people, do you see some roles and responsibilities, some things that those people do? How many of you see that? Okay. And then do you see a result? How many of you see a result? Okay. So you already know what I'm about to say. But I'm going to say it anyway for those of you that didn't raise your hand. You're making this class longer because you did not participate. (laughs) There are six categories of people that you see here. First of all, you see the word apostles. Literally, that means sent ones. It can mean it's like delegate or ambassador. And most likely, Paul is referring to the apostles, the twelve those first leaders and preachers whose message was sometimes accompanied by powerful, affirming miracles and works that were miraculous in order to launch the early church. But it can also refer to those people that are just sent out to speak and act with special authority. Next, you see the word prophets. That's another category of people. Those are people that are designated by God to speak for God. Sometimes it's, it involves telling the future or warning about the future, but not always. In the Bible, we see men and women prophesying the message of Christ, especially in the absence of the whole New Testament in the first century church, as we studied here recently. The, the gift of prophecy was super important to speaking to what God was doing in the world. And, and if you wonder, what's the difference between prophecies and teaching? Prophecies tend to speak more to the moment, whereas teaching is more of a long-term and instructional approach. Next, you see evangelists. Now, you probably think of a man in a suit with slicked back hair, but that's not the picture here. This is just, it just means one who shares the good news. It can mean herald. It's somebody who announces something. And in the first century church in particular, like, they were like modern missionaries. These evangelists founded churches in places where Christ was not known. They went to these areas. Paul was one of them. And they, an evangelist is someone who is particularly gifted at sharing the good news with people. Next, you see the word pastor. And a pastor, here, literally, the word means shepherd. And it's the person who God gives the, the responsibility to oversee and care for the church, or as Paul often calls it, the flock. And shepherding the church is also associated with the role of elder. And so our elders are also shepherds or pastors over the church in that sense. And then last, you see teachers. And a teacher is those who are gifted and responsible to faithfully explain 
and teach the scripture. And this is, an, this is it holds a higher responsibility, James tell us. It has, it has a great responsibility with a calling. Now, a few observations about this list of categories of people. I want you to know, first of all, that a lot of scholars see pastor-teacher as the same role. Because in the original language, it doesn't say uh, the pastors, the teachers. And so often it's hyphenated. It might be hyphenated in your Bible. So they see that as a combined role. Then I want you to see that Paul, the way he's saying this, uh, the way he talks about these leaders, he, he calls them a gift from Jesus to the church. See that in verse 11? So Christ himself gave. So these are, this is not the same as saying people have spiritual gifts, which we should talk about in the future here, if you don't even know what I'm talking about. God, God gives us all a package, a way that he wants to use us. We're designed a certain way, and his, his Holy Spirit gives that to us when we become Christians. But that's not how Paul is talking about it here. He's saying that these people, these roles, they are a gift to the church from me. And you're like, yeah, with you, Britt, we get that. You're the gift that keeps on giving. <laughs> the, the point here isn't that these individuals get special treatment in any way. But, but it is when, when God provides these roles to a church, it is how God is showing the church that he loves the church because he's providing for the leadership that it needs. And then lastly, last observation I want to make is I want you to see how the team is balanced. These, these roles and responsibilities are diverse so that the church can fulfill its full mission. In the list, you have initiators and then you have developers. Initiators are apostles and evangelists. They're the starters. And then there are people that are designed to, to help the church develop after its launch. Prophets and pastors and teachers. Both are vital. Often, in the modern church, these gifts battle against one another in the church. Uh, I don't know if it's still in our archives, but I addressed even that idea uh, a number of years ago in a message called Pioneers and Settlers, because every church has them. We have people that love to go out into the wilderness and do new things, and then we have settlers that their goal is to build forts and to make sure everybody's safe and taken care of. And neither one can control the church. They're supposed to work together with each other. And the tension always comes that the pioneers always want to go out and the settlers are always like, man, you're getting too far out there. We've got to build behind you, or you're going to get lost and die in the wilderness. And then the settlers always want to say, well, no, we've got to keep building the fort better and better and better. We're not ready to go out there into the wilderness. Let's just make the fort bigger. And so you can see how those two work together, but how they can also drive each other crazy in the end. Paul is saying a good, healthy church has a mix of all of this. Now, there's another category of people, the sixth one, and it was kind of obscured in verse 12. Christ himself gave the apostles, prophets, evangelists, pastors, teachers to equip his people. Who are his people? It's everyone. His people are, includes everyone who believes and are part of the church. It's inclusive of everybody. 
So every person, everyone, every individual, even if you don't have this specific leadership calling, has a role and a purpose in the church, which is to say that every one of us has something to contribute to the mission that God has called us to. So what is, and this is going to involve everybody, what exactly is this primary role of the gifted people that God gives to the church, those leaders, those leaders where do we all fit in this mission? Do you see it when we put this verse up? These people are given to equip his people. Equip means to prepare. Maybe some of your Bibles even use that word. To complete what was started. To fill in. To develop. In other words, to give people the information, the tools, the training that they need to do their part. Like a coach does. So the primary role of church leaders is to prepare people. You've got to catch this because it's right here in Scripture. This is God speaking to the Ephesian church, and we're taking it forward to today. The primary role of church leaders is not just to do. We are not just doers. We are doers. But our primary role is to prepare others to do. It's important that every leader is capable to do this. Often we are, we are doing and coaching at the same time. We are player coaches. What does it mean then to prepare people? Prepare, prepare them for what? There's a purpose in this preparing. This preparation has an objective. Do you see it in verse 12? To equip or prepare his people for works of service. Works are deeds, actions, labor, service, the word diakonia from which we get deacon. It's any service that benefits others. And what exactly are these works of service and why are they so important? What is this goal of preparing and equipping? What is the goal of it? What is the result? And here it is again, right here in sequence, that the body of Christ may be built isn't that another way to say to disciple? You know, last week we talked about what building up the church looks like, to help people grow up, to mature, to not be immature, and to not be vulnerable to the forces that are pulling them off course. So I want you to see this. In terms of God's plan for the church, God has not designed for church leaders to just do ministry, to do things. He's designed church leaders to prepare people to do God's work so that the church will be built up. The job of the leaders of this church or the church is to prepare people to do what builds others up. That's the simplest way to put it. That's the travel plan. That's how the church gets to where God wants it to be, fulfill its mission. And that preparing is doctrinal and it's practical. The doctrinal side is, you know, to, that people would know Jesus and that they would be able to reflect Jesus in the world, that they would be an influential force as God has called them to live out faith in their marriage, in their family, in their parenting, to be able to share the good news in their places of work and to grow you up, to become mature, wise, Christ-like, 
and to redeem the brokenness that's in all of us. But the works of service that God uses, these works of service that build up the church, also involve really practical things for church leadership. It involves preparing people to teach kids, if that's what they do. It involves teaching ushers how to ush, how to lead, you know, to lead the church in worship, how to welcome people as they walk in the front door, how to lead a table for mothers of preschoolers, how to keep us secure, how to host a life group or to lead a life group discussion. This is also discipleship. And this is how the church is built up. One of the things that I really love, Jed says this all the time, He's, this is his phrase, it's like, uh, everything is our discipleship. Everything is our discipleship. Every, everything we do, God is involved in that, and he is, we are being matured in that. We are being discipled. Sometimes we just think about, well, it's a di- discipleship program. It's much bigger than that, and God uses all the doctrine and all the conversation that we have among one another and how we challenge each other. And he uses a great second-grade Sunday school teacher. All of those things build up the church. And we saw, we, when we went through Luke, we saw Jesus doing this constantly with the disciples. He was sending, he was teaching them, he was, he was debating with them and conversing with them about doctrinal issues and beliefs and what his vision is for his followers, but he also sent them out, and they did things, and then he brought them back, and they talked about it. How long does this equipping so that the church matures and is built up, how long does that go on? Verse 13, until we all reach unity in the faith and in the knowledge of the Son of God and become mature, attaining to the whole measure of the fullness of Christ. So in that verse, just that one simple verse, here's what we see. The ministry of the church should move believers toward unity in the faith, maturity, and Christ-likeness. How many of you think we've arrived? Okay. So measuring, thank you, we're all in agreement. See how unified we are already? Measuring by those three outcomes. How are churches doing today? Are we unified? Are Christians mature? Are they reflecting the full measure of Jesus Christ? So, I have job security. That's what I'm saying. And so do you. This is an ongoing effort that honestly we never fully get there. Now, you may say, well, Britt, this is great. I'm so glad to be a part of a church that knows where it's going, who's going to get us there, and how we're going to get there. I'm going to enjoy this so much. How cool to be a part of a church that's going to do these things. I can't wait to see how you do it. And I can't wait to reap all the benefits of this wonderful church that's going to help me and my kids and my marriage and my life. What a great place to go to church. Aren't you guys thrilled? Well, hang on. Hang on just for a couple minutes here. But before I go to the next thought, I want to talk to anybody who's either listening online or is here with us. Um, 
that's not a Christian. Or maybe you're exploring faith, and it's like, how is this helping me? You know, like, I came because I want to I understand what it means to be a Christian. Well, you are in this sense that it's possible that in your experience as an unchurched person that you have seen less than ideal images of Christians in your experience. And I would just want to encourage you to just consider that maybe they haven't matured yet or maybe they haven't been prepared as God designed. Maybe they haven't exposed themselves to that kind of equipping. You may have seen churches that didn't seem, that this does not seem to be their mission. But what I want you to see is this is how faith is expressed. The way God has designed Christians to operate in this mysterious thing called the church. And if you are exploring Christianity or you're seeking answers, what we want you to experience through, through the ministry here at Sunridge is we want you to fully experience what it looks like to follow Jesus. We're, our, our, our job is not to convince you to say a certain prayer or to concede to a creed because we're about finding and following Jesus and this is an opportunity. You're hearing kind of like the inside story of what that looks like for a community of faith. Now, I want to get back on track. Because God, if God has designed leaders to equip people for the work of the ministry so that the body of Christ can be built up, it's going to take all of us. It takes all of us. In other words, for Sunridge to accomplish its mission, it requires the church to work together and for us to do our part. Many of you have been a part of, you know, organized sports, some type of a team. How would your team perform if you didn't show up to play or you never came to practice? How would your team do if you, if you wore the uniform everywhere you went? but you never practiced. Or, if you, or you put on the uniform and you showed up for games, but you stayed in the stands the whole time. You never came down on the field. The thing that I want you to see here is that all of God's people, his people, are involved in growing us up into the full measure of Jesus. I love how Paul uses metaphors and illustrations to, to break down complex thoughts, and one of his favorite is to use the human body to explain spiritual matters. And in verse 15, I want us to read, again, from the same passage that we're in, Ephesians 4. Instead of being immature and being, you know, like tossed all around, we will speak the truth in love, we will grow to become in every respect the mature body of him who is the head, that is Christ. From him, the whole body is joined and held together by every supporting ligament, grows and builds itself up, builds itself up in love. How? As each part does its work. Now, what happens to your human body when all the parts aren't working? I'm becoming more and more familiar with that. 
And I love how Paul mentions ligaments here because I've torn a few. Maybe you have too. I literally have very little ligaments left on my ankles. By the time I was a junior in high school, I couldn't even step on the field without being taped. That was a coach, coach's decree for me. You will not even walk out there without getting your ankles taped. And then, um, among other injuries, I tore my MCL, which is your medial collateral ligament on the inside of your knee. Uh, it was in spring ball after my freshman year. And I made a tackle. I was a linebacker. And I was in the pile holding on. And as, as happens, everyone kind of falls together. And my knee was, my leg was sitting out like this under another body. And then there was a body on top of that. And then a very large lineman happened to fall right here. Yeah, that's what I said, along with some other words. And I, I felt the pop. I heard the pop. And it hurt. And I stood up, and I couldn't stand up. I couldn't walk. The knee was so wobbly. So I tore that ligament. And today, it still rocks in there. Paul is saying, don't be the torn ligament in the body. Now, there are plenty of reasons why you personally may not be capable of functioning fully in the body of Christ right now. So I'm not saying that to guilt you in any way. I think the intent here that Paul is making and I want to make is that it's showing how important each one of us is, how much we are valued by God, and how important it is that God has placed all of these individuals into this thing called Sunridge. Because we're a church that has a destination, which is helping people find and follow Jesus, and it involves people. Now, I don't want to nerd out too much on you guys, okay? But so just give me a little benefit of the doubt here. I want to talk to you about how practical this is in my mind. And I want to give you, like, for our church, we have four big goals this year. Number one, we're going to become an equipping church. If you recall, that means we're going to prepare people doctrinally down to, like, how to ush. That's our, that's our job. And if you recall, in the survey which there's a few copies left back over here on that back table, if you didn't get one. Um, this was a glaring opportunity for growth, as the consultant called it, from Vital Church. Number two, we're going to reach people far from God. When, I, when we talk about discipling, that's, you know, that process starts with someone who's far from God. If you recall in the survey, one of the things that they asked us to consider is how we can migrate from being a transfer growth church, that is, people join us from other churches, which we love, all of you who have, trust me, you're not getting discounted here, but to, to become more of a conversion growth church too, to become a church where people far from God come in, explore Christianity, have questions, and then they become a Jesus follower. That's something that we're going to work on. Number three, we're going to disciple one another. And when I say that, it isn't just a program. We're not going to have, not just another Bible study, which those are all important. I'm not down on that. But we're going to build each other up 
We're going to mature one another. And this is one of the places where the report said that we're, we were adequate. Adequate is not good enough for me. And when I think about this, I think about like the commitment that our church can make to the family. Like what is our commitment to your children? They, from kindergarten through fifth grade. What are we going to do with your kids to prepare them for that next thing that's called middle school? How are we going to get them ready for that? What are some promises that we can make to you? That's discipleship. And the same goes for, um, you know, that middle schooler. What do we need to do to prepare them for high school? And as you know, many of you have had high schoolers graduate and go off to college how, or to, to start their career how do we prepare them for that? And then overall, number four, we are going to become influential Jesus followers. Influential Jesus followers because that is the end goal of discipleship. I think sometimes we think about discipleship as me getting grounded personally, which it is, but God has something for us. It looks different on all of us. You know, you're not going to hand out pamphlets, you know, in Old Town. Maybe you will, but if I get to have a say, we won't do that. <laughs> Just saying. Okay, send your emails to Bob. That's okay. But how do, how do we, if we're grounded Christians, or even if we're a brand new Christian, how do we become the kind of people who are influencing people toward Christ? Not just saying things and not just demanding things, but how do we speak to this world today and how do we reflect Jesus in a way that people say, I want to know about that. I got a lot of questions, but I want to know more about that. I realize that those are really big goals, and I want to tell you I don't have all the answers today, and, and neither do our elders and staff. But with, with all of our effort together and with your feedback and your participation, we're going to figure it out. And I know that was kind of like a little nerdy strategy session, but I wanted you to know about that. Now, I'm going to ask the band to come up, and I have just a couple of closing thoughts here. Number one, um, I want to acknowledge that we stand on the shoulders of everyone who's come before us. This is not saying Sunders is going to be an entirely different church, if that's what you're hearing, that we're going to do, you know, like all things different. We stand on the shoulders of those that were before us, and the past year, really, has been about us learning that. If you're tracking with me, we studied Luke's gospel to see the life of Jesus and what he did in his life. And then we went from there to the first century church in Acts, and we, we watched and observed and learned from what they did. And the whole time we've been saying, their story is our story. And as we ended Acts, we said that this is, we are Acts 29. We are still doing the same thing. And what, what God did in the first century, he's still doing today. It looks different, but we carry on that mission. But it comes from our history and our heritage, not just from the Bible and our uh, spiritual heritage, but also like who Sunridge has been. We're going to consistently be that and adjust where we need to. We have a 30-year-plus history in this valley. 
And there have been so many people that have contributed to who we are today, and we're going to keep that going. And then the last thing I'm going to say is to you, if you, if you haven't heard this, we're doing this together. We're doing it together. We're traveling together on our journey or our mission as a church, not individuals. And if you can recall, like, like the wilderness journey of the children of Israel, didn't they do great when they all realized that? And didn't they do terrible when they all started becoming individuals? When they, when they got that they are part of a people that are journeying, journeying in life, things went well for them. To me, it's as different. It's like we, we became trailer people, um, you know, a number of years ago. Bought an old used trailer, and, and we have a group of people that like to trailer together. And if we're all going to the same place, we usually travel together. And that's a picture for me, for the church. Because to do that takes a lot of cooperation. You know, we all get different gas mileage. Um, some of us have different, different places we want to eat. Some of us have different bladder sizes. And we're constantly coordinating with each other to get where we're going. And so it takes some cooperation, but the advantages, the advantages of traveling together, we're a resource to each other. If something happens, we have immediate roadside response. We can block traffic for one another. You haven't lived until you've tried to pull a trailer you know, through LA without help from your friends that are blocking. And sometimes people know that we're doing that and they show us a little signal as they go by <laughs> that they recognize that we're a team. Yeah, we're number one, that's what he said. We benefit from one another's experiences. People know which restaurants to go to, they know the exits, they know, they know where our trailer is gonna fit in a gas station so that we don't just blind aside it and have to back out into you know, Van Nuys Boulevard or whatever it is. If we have to, we can block from one another. And then everyone tells us we're number one again. That's the church doing it together. That's what we're called to do. And that's the way it works. Mission, strategy, ideas, none of that helps. It's, it's all a big waste of time unless we do it together. It takes people. God-leading people. I'm going to leave you with this scripture from Paul that again uses the body as an example. From 1 Corinthians 12, just as a body, though one has many parts, but all of its many parts form one body, so it is with Christ. For we were all baptized by one spirit to form one body. Whether you're Jews or Gentiles, slave or free, we're all given the one spirit to drink. Even so, the body is not made up of one part, but of many. Now, if the foot should say, because I'm not a hand, I don't belong to the body, it would not for that reason stop being part of the body. And if the ear should say, because I'm not an eye, I don't belong to the body, it would not for that reason stop being part of the body. If the whole body were an eye, where would the sense of hearing be? And if the whole body were an ear, where would the sense of smell be? But in fact... God has placed the parts in the body, every one of them, just as he wanted them to be. 
If they were all one part, where would the body be? And as it is, there are many parts, but one body. The eye cannot say to the hand, I don't need you. And the head cannot say to the feet, I don't need you. On the contrary, those parts of the body that seem to be weaker are indispensable. And the parts that we think are less honorable, we treat with special honor. And the parts that are unpresentable are treated with special modesty, while our presentable parts need no special treatment. But God has put the body together, giving greater honor, honor to the parts that lacked it, so that there should be no division in the body. But its parts should have equal concern for one another, so that if one part suffers, every part suffers with it. And if one part is honored, every part rejoices with it. And then he finishes with this. Now you, you are the body of Christ. And every one of you, every one of you is a part of it. In order to go where God intends us to go, where God is taking us, it's going to take all of us doing our part together. Are you for that? A few of you are. God bless you. That's where we're going. That is our vision 2023. I hope that excites you. And if it doesn't, I hope that you'll talk to me about it because I think I can get you excited about it. Let's stand and worship. Hey, everybody, it's Britt again. Thanks for listening. If you need something, if you have a question, or you'd just like us to pray for you, you can reach us through email, info at sunridgechurch.org. We hope you'll listen in again next week, but in the meantime, keep helping people find and follow Jesus.